Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Quiet Mark podcast. I'm Simon Gosling, your host, and I'm the CSO at Quiet Mark, the independent international approval award program associated with the UK Noise Abatement Society Charitable Foundation. So those of you returning to the show, having listened to episode one, thank you for listening and welcome back. And to any new listeners, welcome to the show. In this podcast, we explore our relationship with sound, quiet and acoustics and look at the way that good acoustics and sound can increase our well-being and can have positive effects on people's mental health. As I record this introduction, I'm sat in my garden. You'll hear birds singing in the background and maybe a bit of construction work going on. It's week six of lockdown and the news is talking about the new normal. How are we going to return to work and how things have changed in the world in 2020 with the arrival of COVID-19 coronavirus. I've got not one, but two wonderful guests on today's show for you to enjoy, both of whom are based in New York, and I've recorded them both using Google Hangouts. Carolyn Forty, who's a director at the Home Appliances and Cleaning Products Lab at the Good Housekeeping Institute in New York, and Ethan Bordeaux, Sound Concept Lead and Senior Associate at International Wellbuilding Institute, IWBI. The Good Housekeeping Seal, the Wellbuilding Certification, and the Quiet Mark Award are all standards. The Good Housekeeping Seal is a warranty on those products that have been evaluated by the Good Housekeeping Institute and been assessed to perform as intended. The Quiet Mark is awarded to products and appliances which have been tested by our qualified team of acousticians and have been deemed to be found amongst the quietest on the market. And the Well Certification is the leading tool for advancing health and well-being in buildings globally. So these three things are standards, and as Taichi Ono, the Japanese industrial engineer and father of the Toyota production system, which inspired lean manufacturing in the US, said, without standards, there can be no improvement. So how have your standards been during lockdown? Are you sticking to the routine of setting the alarm clock, having your shower, maybe doing a cycle ride or walking the dog before work and then settling down to a routine of nine to five? Or are you a laptop in bed person with your shirt and tie on the conference call, but Jim Jam bottoms beneath? So let's now meet the guests. This recording comes in three parts. The first part is a recording I did with Ethan, who was at home in Sunnyside, Queens in New York. That's followed by Carolyn, who's also at home in New Jersey. And then the third and final recording before my outro is a conversation that I recorded with Ethan immediately following his presentation at Quiet Mark's Acoustics Academy launch event back in February 2020. So with no further ado, here's Ethan via video call. So joining me on Hangout video conference call right now, I've got Ethan from the International Well Building Institute. Hello, Ethan. Hey, Simon. It's good to see you again. Great to see you too. How are you? Pretty good. Holding up uh, nicely here, uh, despite everything, but it's a bit troublesome. This is the most affected county in the most affected state in the most affected country. So I'm, I'm doing my best to stay afloat amidst that. But Where exactly are you to, to, for our listeners? I'm in Sunnyside, Queens. So... Uh, located in Queens County. It's great to see you again. Obviously, uh, after this interview that we're doing now, this, you've, you've kindly come back to have a conversation, which is a second conversation after we did the original recording, which will follow this uh, when we last spoke, which was at the uh, Acoustics Academy launch in February in London, clearly when times were very different. Uh, and in that recording that's going to follow this, people are going to learn more about what the Well Building Institute is, what you do, and what your certification means. How would you describe it so that we can then follow on from here? Yeah, sure. This is a building certification system that recognizes built infrastructure that meets health and well-building needs for occupants. And so that can be 
in the form of building commissioning. It can be in the form of organizational policies or the use of products or design techniques that foster health and well-being. Uh, and it covers a range of different project types. We we focus on commercial, real estate, uh, education, uh, hospitality, and healthcare. A number of, of things, whether it's new buildings, existing buildings, uh, core and shell structures, or core, as they say, over in the UK. But we cover a wide gambit of, of project types because people work in a wide range of project and building types. In terms of people working from home, is there anything that you could share with the listeners in terms of what they can be doing in their homes to make it a better environment for them acoustically to work from home? Yeah, I'm, I'm, for many people, it's 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 different. We don't have the same levels or variables that we face when we say enter an office or enter a school or wherever it may be that we work. So adjusting to those at-home ergonomics, which acoustics is certainly a part of, is vital to maintaining whatever that productivity was uh, before going into this. And for many, it could be working alongside their roommates in shared spaces. It could be working alongside their spouses or having to juggle work with uh, being the stay-at-home teacher it's it's recognizing to what effect are you acoustically stimulated over the course of a given day? And then how do you make space for that? Whether that's using noise cancellation headphones or having an external microphone like, like I have here or headset to make sure that you're clearly heard on calls, which helps to elevate your presence to be more heard or more recognized when you're connecting with your team. Um, there's It's mostly a subjective dance, I'd say, mm. of making sure that your acoustic needs are met and that you're showing up uh, to either work or collaborate or communicate with others uh, in a way that allows you to be heard, which technology can help foster that. But also uh, an individual's ability to make space for that, I think, is is vital. Uh, I think we have a chance to build a, a vocabulary and a vernacular that we can adapt from work from home environment and then bring back into the workplace, which is something that I talk about at well. You and I both live and work in two of the noisiest busiest, most populated cities in the world with you in New York and me in London. When you live in such a chaotic and noise-polluted environment, it's hard sometimes to really appreciate the benefits, the well-being benefits that quiet and silence can bring you. Certainly you might go on your two-week holiday abroad and sit by a beach or go walking in the hills and you really enjoy quiet and you know that it's good for you. But you get back to the hustle and bustle and that memory of silence disappears. But right now, in lockdown, that memory is present every day. I know in London people are saying, I really like this. Of course, they don't like the circumstance. But everyone, you have to look at silver linings to keep going, of course. And one thing people are going is, are saying is, I can hear the birds again. There's less traffic. It's... People even say hello when you walk past them in the park a little bit, albeit with good social distancing in practice, of course. Do you think that this um, re-engagement with silence and quiet, this new developed relationship with quiet, do you think that's going to make well-building certification more popular and more in demand post-lockdown? I think that... We can look at it from a more general sense to begin with, because when we think about how we recognize these soundscapes as offering a bit more respite, I mean, you can put a word to it. Like this morning, for instance, I woke up and was able to identify a few bird calls. I'm not an ornithologist, but um, it was something that I would, would normally, 
I guess, gloss over if I was about to get ready, go out to work, hop on the subway, and then experience that that sort of routine that I'm used to with the, the city soundscape. I think that what helps us is being able to put a name or word to what that experience is so that as designers, when we go to work with people in teams to build these spaces, we can say, for instance, we want to design our space to help us better connect with nature because we know from experience that that offers respite, that that offers a sense of rejuvenation or stimulation. And so we can use this time to to engage with people in a way that I think and like you said before, trying not to make light of the situation, uh, engage with people to better explain what exactly good acoustics or good soundscapes or beneficial sound environments mean, because we have this ability to remove people from the typical hustle and bustle of the city, which whether we accept it or not in our day-to-day when things are quote-unquote normal, um, does have a negative effect on us over time. I mean, you mentioned London and New York, two places where there is a wealth of research related to the way that transportation noise affects us. And for some, that noise doesn't exist right now. And how how do we describe what that feels like? How do we describe how to design that and design towards that? I think that that's a, a really big opportunity right now. And it's something that uh, something like Well has the ability to, for lack of a better word, catalyze upon to help explain to our clients, you know, this this is something that we can we can offer, this type of respite. You know, we're talking about the large sounds in the world and our home is often filled with some of the smaller sounds which nevertheless might trigger emotional or psychological responses. Um, I was reading an article about misphonia uh, just before lockdown and how someone was being driven nuts by the clicking of keyboards on, on phones or maybe people talking loudly on FaceTimes on the bus what would you think about personal quiet within working from home and these these sounds? Do you think they've reduced? Do you think they're increasing through working from home? It's a really interesting topic because well, while I'm, I'm certainly not a psychologist or a sociologist, but when I think about the way that humans interact in public, it's governed by the boundary conditions of that routine or that commute, right? I might have an opinion about the way the bus sounds or the city sounds or people on the street sound as I'm walking from the subway to my office. And then that time that I'm in my office is sort of here I am at work. And there are certain things that kind of set me off because those boundary conditions are associated with task. When we go to work from home, again, I'm not an expert here in the way that occupational science works here. But when we work from home, we're surrounded by the things that we up until now have associated with I'm not at work or for those who this is specific to those who I guess haven't always been working from home which which I would say is a large percentage of the population the soundscape of our work from home environment is based upon the things that we associate with either waking up or going to bed or everything in between whether it's being a parent or being someone who maybe has a side hustle or just goes home to relax and so if you're annoyed by the sound of your compressor kicking on in your refrigerator while you're doing work in your living room with the sound of right now for me, rain on my air conditioning unit, it requires a reshift in the way that we, or maybe others with say something as extreme as misophonia, have to adapt. So there's something I think when it comes to appliances, for instance, I think that manufacturers could potentially have an onus in, in meeting the demands of creating quieter environments that meet the needs of folks who have to adjust to this and who knows what happens after this particular circumstance does work from home or remote working become i hate the term but a new normal i, I 
how how do we continue to meet these needs in the way that we've seen uptick in like commercial sectors for creating quieter environments? We don't really talk about the the private home unless it's like high end luxury. I follow on LinkedIn Gary Viachuk. Do you know Gary Viachuk? I do. Yeah, he, he's got about four point eight million followers on LinkedIn. He's a five time bestseller on the New York Times for his books. Quite an outspoken head of a, a advertising agency, but who's got some quite interesting opinions. And in twenty seventeen. Someone shouted out to him at a conference when it was the Q&A time. They said, what do you think about remote working and working from home? And he said, look, I know it can be productive, but I will never build an agency that relies on remote working ever, full stop. He was quite vocal about it in 2017. But just recently, three weeks ago, he posted a video saying, I was wrong. And he was saying that now it's been forced upon him. And with the advancements in video conferencing, Zoom, Hangouts, Slack, he's he's actually such a fan of working from home now, seeing the world being that it brings to his teams, seeing the productivity that his teams are bringing to working from home. He's thinking now that when things do hopefully go back to normal, He's thinking of installing in his, all his agencies. He employs a lot of people, but a, a work from home day per week. What do you think of that idea? How is, how is it working for you and well working from home? Our team our team has tested out working remotely over the course of a month uh, for the past two summers where we could work within reason a, across the world um, and, and test out what it, what it means to collaborate. We're an extremely collaborative team. Um, that that requires clear and concise communication to to develop our product and move it forward. So, we have learned the the tricks that work for us along the way. We've we've learned what doesn't work, and we've been able to scale that uh, that type of remote working across our organization. Now everyone has this sort of opportunity to from time to time work remotely. We do have staff that work remotely across the world, some contracted staff as well, and. Right now, we we look to them since we're all in this boat for for guidance, and um, we're learning what's what's difficult for us. We're learning what, what's difficult for for the remote staff now too. It seems like I guess the point here is that there's open mindedness is absolutely critical in this um, adjustment period. Before we started recording this call, Ethan, we had a preliminary chat, and I asked how you were, and you said I'm rushed off my feet. I'm really busy. There's a lot going on right now, and I must admit, when I heard that, I thought, hang on, though. You're a certification in buildings, which right now are empty through lockdown. How can you be so busy? There's a lot that goes into making sure that certified <laughs> buildings can perform and meet the needs of, of clients, whether they're past, present, or future. And there's a couple programs that I'm uh, involved with developing. One of them is the recertification program of our uh, well certification. So after three years, buildings are um, asked to recertify, which involves another round of testing and documentation submission, which for some projects is easy and for others, it requires some guidance. So we have to build out that program. And that's something that I work closely with the members of our commercial and standard development team to to build out so that it's uh, achievable. I also work, uh, I'm actually going to be hopping off a call onto a call pretty soon uh, related to performance testing and the people who conduct our third party assessment, understanding what sort of training and guidance we can give them during this remote time where a lot of testing is sort of put on pause with people not allowed access to the buildings and we're finding ways to adapt uh, with everything right now and, and make sure that our staff is well trained and our program is re- as robust as possible so that takes time so that's <laughs> what's really keeping me uh, on my toes so <laughs> well, i'm glad you're not twiddling your thumbs too much although i know with you you'd be playing some instruments or doing something musical that's not on pause i hope 
No, absolutely not. I am. Uh, in fact, it's it's escalated. I've been learning how to produce and hopefully have some uh, material out pretty soon. So watch this space. Oh, we'll be watching that for certain. And also, you know, you kindly did the talk with us in February at the Acoustics Academy launch. Poppy, our CEO and founder, has been to the Well Institute offices. How did that go? You had a, a meeting with her. Yeah, we had a really interesting conversation about the efforts that QuietMark has undertaken, especially in the in uh, the product certification realm, and how that can potentially impact our clients with well certification. Really trying to get at the larger goal of creating quieter spaces, and whether that's um, entirely through architecture design or down to the way that owners and tenants select appliances or products that they use on a day-to-day basis. How does that create and govern the soundscape that you operate under. I mean, we talked earlier about fatigue or misophonia and the way that people react in spaces. I think that we're going to start seeing greater awareness of how we, over time, adapt to and respond to the various sounds in our office down to a very granular level in a way that I don't think that we're currently addressing through traditional acoustical consultation. So I'm really excited to, to, to find ways to, to collaborate um, with QuietMark and others who are pointing to acoustic performance of products and that's something that Poppy and I have talked about very recently, too, in ways that we can we can unify some efforts and recognizing that moving forward, which is pretty exciting. So, Ethan, something I want to ask you, we know that we have this mutual love of music, but another shared passion is our love of cycling. Are you still cycling around New York? And what's that like right now during lockdown? Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate enough to be able to to include exercise into our daily routines. But for me, that means hopping on my bike and navigating between the boroughs or, or around Queens, recognizing social distancing, of course. Yeah, getting back to it. I took a brief hiatus from cycling for a while. I used to be a racer in the city and, and now I'm, I'm slowly getting back into it. But it's been a really great way to connect with nature and also just see this beautiful city while still recognizing distancing. And you were saying something to me about the fact that you're taking your handy recorder and recording quiet parks for other people to be able to experience? Yeah. So in my efforts to become uh, a bit more savvy with uh, music production, I have been learning uh, the great art of field recording. So I will take my handy recorder, which I'm using right now, um, to parks to sort of capture that sound that people really aren't experiencing as a result of this pandemic right now. The sounds that bring us together on the weekends and good weather. And it really came out of something that a colleague of mine uh, raised. She reached out to me directly asking, you know, how do I get that that same stimulus I get from hearing the coworkers or my day-to-day routine while I'm working from home? Oh, wow. I thought of some clever things of like, well, what if we were like boarded some loops of people talking to one another? Or what if we recorded loops of some of our parks in the city? And so this past weekend, I took a trip up through Astoria and Queens and took some recordings. And I think I'll be releasing some of that soon through IWBI, hopefully, and have available for people who want to reconnect with natural soundscapes that define the city. So we'll see where that goes. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, one of our other interviews, which will be coming out soon, is with Oliver Heath, who you met, of course, when you came and did the event. And he was a, a biophilic designer. And he his talk was about what nature can teach us about sound design. And actually, I did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago, which is coming out soon. But we talked about playing natural soundscapes and sounds within your workspace to improve well-being. And I think he, you know, he's obviously talking about sounds of nature, but it's good to know that you might have a library of them uh, at your end available. But was that the kind of concept that maybe bringing some sort of having creating soundscapes that people can can work to while they while they're working from home? Yeah, it's an emerging conversation. We the research indicates that there are certain natural sounds that do stimulate us. Oliver knows that really well. Ethan, I think we've covered everything off for this uh, second interview, which will 
like I say, go out alongside the interview that you did before. It's great seeing you. Stay safe, stay well, and stay in touch. Yeah, likewise, Simon. It's great to catch up again. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Cheers. Karen Forty is Director of the Home Appliances and Cleaning Products Lab of the Good Housekeeping Institute, and she's responsible for overseeing and producing all of Good Housekeeping Magazine's home appliance and cleaning product reviews, the Ask the GH Cleaning Lab monthly column, editorial service tips and home cleaning content for both the magazine and goodhousekeeping.com, as well as assessing products submitted for the Good Housekeeping seal. Her lab evaluates consumer products in the categories of laundry and clothes care, floor care, dish care, small and major home care appliances, and more. Karen also produces the brand's special publications and books related to home cleaning and organising, and frequently speaks to industry on topics relating to cleaning and consumer and household trends. She's regularly interviewed across all media and digital platforms, including The Today Show, The View, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, The Home Shopping Network, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and The Wall Street Journal, and more. Prior to joining Good Housekeeping, Karen was employed by the Montgomery Ward Company as a textile analyst. She was responsible for both performance and technical evaluation of the company's retail and catalogue merchandise. Carolyn holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Family and Consumer Science with a business option from Queen's College City University of New York. Her current professional affiliations include membership on various technical standards committees such as ASTM International's D12 Committee on Soaps and Detergents and F11 Committee on Vacuum Cleaners where she serves as the Consumer Information Subcommittee Chair and the D13 Committee on Textiles. Carolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your invitation today. And it's wonderful to be speaking to you at this time via Google Hangouts, our video conference call, because as we speak, it's early May and the world has gone into lockdown in response to coronavirus. Are you staying safe, social distancing and keeping well over there in New York, Carolyn? We are. Thank you so much. And I hope you are as well over there in London. I actually live in New Jersey. I work in Manhattan. So we left the offices by March 11th. They had decided that it was time for us to work from home. And um, like I said, I live in New Jersey. Haven't been back to New York, but have lots of friends and colleagues that work there. And everybody's going through quite an experience at this time, but doing our best to stay safe and stay healthy for sure. I was looking at your LinkedIn bio, Carolyn, before we started speaking. And it said that you've been there for 39 years and six months, November 1980 to be exact. And Number one in the charts then was Don't Stand So Close to Me, which could be an anthem for these times with uh, social distancing. But also the number one film back then was uh, Fame. And you're in New York. I just need to know, was everyone really dancing in the streets in leg warmers back in those days? Uh, No, (laughs) I have to say. We were wearing sneakers, though, as we were. I think that, you know, we had a subway strike. Um, some years earlier. And um, that started everybody wearing their sneakers with their business attire um, as we started skipping the subway and walking in the streets. So I think we weren't dancing, but we were certainly walking in our sneakers. Was this a real change from formal shoes then back then? Absolutely. That was the biggest thing. And then once we once we switched to flats and sneakers, we never went back. So And then, of course, work and dress got more casual. So it just seemed to go with the outfit it did back in the 80s when, you know, it was kind of a, a bizarre thing to look at. But um, so we got comfortable with it. And that was the beginning of the end. And everybody and that's why. You know, it's it's so hard for a city like New York in such a such a time like this because the subways are just a, a key part of what makes the city function and the streets are super crowded. So, you know, 
I mean, it's it's amazing to look at the pictures now and see how how desolate everything is, which it needs to be. But you know, we all have a lot of questions. We don't know when we're going to be going back. We don't know how we're going to be going back. So you know, we're 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 I think we're settled into this kind of all right, life. This is what life is like working from home. How we food shopping and taking care of daily activities, but we're starting to think about the next phase, which is you know how do we how do we handle going back? So we don't know yet. We're still figuring that out. No, you're quite right. No one really knows uh, quite how we're going to return to work at the moment. It's uh, thought right. that there will be social distancing of some kind in practice, and maybe a a week which is split between the office and working from home. I, I can see that. You know, we're in a 46-story tower building. It was designed by Lord Norman Foster, and it's a glass-faceted tower sitting on top of William Randolph Hearst's 1928 Art Deco base, um, which was the building he built back then to to house the the Hearst Corporation. So it's a beautiful building, and it houses about 2,000 people now. So, you know, there's lots of questions about how are we going to handle it, the elevators, the escalators, the cafe downstairs, um, just... You know, in our in our Good Housekeeping Institute labs, we have a bit of space between us, but that doesn't, you know, that's not true for the other floors where people are in cubicles and smaller spaces. So companies really, we have meetings once a week where we kind of hear what's happening and what the thoughts are. And so far, we haven't heard anything mm. yet about going back, but I know they're they're discussing it and they're figuring out how to how to facilitate. And it could very well be staggered work hours, staggered days in and out. Um, certain teams in on some days, certain teams in on other days. So we have to we have to see where that goes. Absolutely. Um, I've been to the building myself. I've done meetings there as well. And you're right, it's such an impressive looking building. And I recommend that listeners look at uh, It's called the Hearst Building. Yeah, it's called Hearst Tower. Hearst Tower. And also that will appeal to the listeners of this show because listeners of the Quiet Mark podcast range from consumers who are interested in finding products which help turn their home into more of a sanctuary, but also a big proportion of our listening listenership are acousticians and architects who are designing spaces and looking to how to make bring great acoustics into spaces. Which floor are you on there? Yeah. The Good Housekeeping Institute is on the 29th floor. What's it like up there? Does that get you far enough away from the noise pollution of the traffic below? It does. It really you feel like you're in a sanctuary. When it snows, you kind of feel like you're in a snow globe because <laughs> the snow goes around and around and it goes up and down. So it's pretty cool. And um where I'm sitting, I overlook the Hudson, so I get to see New Jersey. So it is a beautiful view. And Amazing. um I can see the ship going up and down the Hudson and kind of see the storms coming in when they're coming in from New Jersey. But um you really do feel like you are in a sanctuary. The, the building that was beautifully designed. There's so much natural light coming in. You know, it's it's really designed to be a great work environment. So, um, no, we don't hear any horns honking. We don't hear any traffic from down below. So we're very fortunate that way. On your LinkedIn bio, it also said that you turned the scientific into the simple. I'd love to know more about the lab. Tell us more about that, if you would, please. Sure. Well, the Good Housekeeping Institute serves two functions. One, it's our job to review any products that apply for a housekeeping seal. So if he wants to carry the Good Housekeeping seal, they submit their product to us. We test it. It's a, it's pretty amazing that we have a have a full city of te- testing labs right in the middle of Manhattan. So, Incredible. you know, while we can't can't do a lot, um, you know, we have to be very efficient with our space. So our spaces are multi-use spaces. In, in my lab in particular, uh, the Home Appliances and Cleaning Products Lab, we test everything from uh, small and major appliances, so washers, dryers, dishwashers, vacuum cleaners, 
irons, garments, steamers, anything that's not a food or cooking appliance. And we also do all of the household cleaning products. So the laundry detergents and the all-purpose cleaners and all of those formulas that you use to clean your house as well. So we do all of those evaluations and we put our consumer hats on. I mean, we're, we're scientists in our background, but we are writing for a consumer magazine. We do our analysis to figure out how a product works, how well it works, you know, where it, what its strengths are, what its weaknesses are. But we can't write a technical report for our readers. They have to be able to understand what we're saying to them. So what we do is we take our technical findings and actually turn that around into helpful information for our readers and fun to read. You know, cleaning sometimes is, can be a little bit chore, uh, an onerous chore <laughs> that people don't want to do or it can be a boring subject. So I always feel like if I'm not excited about what I'm doing, how do I expect our readers to be excited about it? Excellent. And that's sort of turning the scientific into the simple, where we can relate to you on that here at Quiet Mart, because that's obviously what we do, that purple cue that people see on reviews and on product boxes. When they see that, it does the research for them. They look at it and they say, this is a quiet product. And I should say that you and I have been introduced by uh, Quiet Mark's founder and CEO, Poppy Skeela. How did you come to meet Poppy? And could you tell us a bit more about how Quiet Mark collaborates with good housekeeping? Sure. Well, in addition to um, the products that we re- review for our good housekeeping seal, we also do um, all of the editorial reviews for the magazine. So when you see a story about you know, the best vacuum cleaners or the best washing machines or the best uh, maybe mixers or blenders. All that content comes from the Good Housekeeping Institute. About three years ago or so, a gentleman that worked with Poppy at the time had been an associate of mine in one of the technical organizations, the standards-making organizations, so we knew each other from then. Uh And he reached out and had a proposal about working with us, Good Housekeeping in the U.S., in a similar way to that Quiet Mark had been working with Good Housekeeping in the U.K., So we got together and we started talking about it. And we really thought that that was a great way to make our testing more robust, to really um, bring another dimension to the work that we were doing was to talk about sound. We weren't doing our own sound testing. So this was a perfect um, collaboration. And then we had a chance to meet with with Poppy. We discussed it even more and worked out a, a protocol where the experts at Quiet Mark come over and when we're doing a test in um, robot vacuum cleaners, we've done regular vacuum cleaners, we've done um, hair dryers and earphone, headphones and blenders and food processors. And so all the things that consumers use at home that really do make a lot of noise, They, uh, the person, the technical person from, from QuietMark has come over, done the sound testing for us, and then we report those results in the pages of the magazine. So in addition to performance testing and we're telling a consumer how much dirt it picks up and how easy is it to use, we're also now telling them how quiet the appliance is, or not quiet it is, if that's if that's the way it goes. Hopefully it was helpful to quiet mark in terms of, you know, kind of an entree into the into the US market. And for us it was a great way to make our testing and our reporting of our, our results robust, which was which was really something that we always we always try to do. Oh, that's fantastic. And you know, at the beginning of the show, we were talking about the fact that you'd been with Good Housekeeping since the 80s. And there's obviously been a huge change in that time. Those were the heady days of print. And whilst Good Housekeeping still sells a lot of issues, there's, it's very much as well now about goodhousekeeping.com and social media. I'd like to know, as someone who's been examining and looking at products and the way that they affect our lives, has the... Let me rephrase this. I read recently in The Guardian in the UK that the UK is currently 20 to 50% quieter 
in these five five weeks of lockdown than it ha- is in normal times. And people have even said, it reminds me of the 80s. I can hear birds singing again. And so I'd like to ask you, has the world got louder? I think the world has gotten louder as more things are vying for our attention. I mean, even just looking at at my Instagram feed sometimes, I, I put it on and, you know, people's videos, they put music on them. They're so loud. I can't, I have to shut the microphone off sometimes <laughs> because they're just like, too much. Mm. It's too much. Just tell me what you want to tell me and cut the sound off and <laughs> take it. So I think in a way, I think things have gotten louder because every there's so much vying for our attention. In order to get someone's attention, things have to be louder or they think that that's the way, you know. Um, but in the meantime, I also think that people are more attuned to the impact of sound now than or back then. Why um, do you think that? I think because our world is here, our attention spans are shorter. What I think I'm seeing is that there's a more of a focus on wellness. And as people want to get away from some of that overload, whether it's sound or sight or um, video or whatever it is, they are looking for quiet. So I think we're seeing more appliances now that have quiet features than we did back then. It's become more of an issue, I think, for manufacturers to try and appeal to consumers with attributes that didn't exist before. So um, there's quiet modes on dishwashers if you run them overnight. Um, This robot vacuum cleaner test that I just mentioned that we recently did, some of them have quiet modes where they run and if you want to run the vacuum when the when the baby's sleeping, that's something that you can do. So I think manufacturers, in spite of the fact that, you know, society may have gotten louder, I think the flip side of that is that we're more attuned to the impact of sound and people are trying to respond to that. Mm. And you and I both live in two of the busiest, loudest cities in the world with you in New York and me in London. I was looking at the news uh, this week and there was a reporter talking about new. He said there's something known as the New York Minute, which means now, right away, not going to wait. He said that New York was known for its uh, impatience, is what the, the BBC reporter said in the news feature. In this lockdown time where silence is more prevalent and we can't rush around on subways and between offices has the new york minute got closer to 60 seconds i think so i think people are people are taking a breath now you know in spite of the fact that it's been such a tragic tragic event worldwide for everyone i think it's helping us you know step back and reassess a little bit um because we're so busy or we're so busy we don't have time to think about some of the things that we maybe were missing in life. And I feel like, um, you know, when you watch TV and you see, you know, the middle of Times Square with no one there, um, it makes you reassess and look at things. And I think we're reassessing things in a, in a number of ways. And we're reassessing like we, we, we discussed on how we do work. I think we're reassessing our home environments and, and what the situations are at home. I mean, certainly now that families are home and there's kids at home, you know, never more than now that did you need a moment of silence and a moment of quiet in the way that our homes have become. So, you know, I think we're reassessing from the cleaning perspective. You know, I just read something myself on how the cleaning products companies really see this whole interest in a cleaner, more germ-free, healthy home environment carrying on and not just being something that, you know, people dispense with once this whole thing is over. So yes, I agree. I think we've gone from a minute to 60 seconds. I'm sure we're still going to be crossing the streets across the, the grid lights like we normally do, and <laughs> not, not paying attention to the signals and bicyclists running all over the place one day. But I hopefully some of the benefits of this pause 
in our life will, will continue. Are you baking bread from home? Baking bread has gone through the roof. Through the roof. I have not baked bread. I have not baked bread. I've done a lot of cooking, uh, <laughs> but um, started making, you know, just a, a few little desserts and some breads, but uh, I, some like, uh, you know, morning, morning breads, but not regular bread. Have not done that yet. There was, a, there was a lot of headlines about bread baking going through the roof. And yes, people were queuing up and stockpiling toilet rolls and going, you know, know. getting really scared at the beginning of lockdown. That, that seems to have eased. But baking bread wasn't because I think people were worried that sliced bread was going to sell out in their local supermarket. It was more to have something to do at home during lockdown. And I think it was also more just getting back to basics. And I think... I know for myself, I, I love what I do, but it's quite a busy life, you know, with, with Quiet Mark. And and um, whereas with lockdown, I've painted my front door aubergine recently. It looks amazing. We painted the kitchen. <laughs> and there's all these things that we're doing, which actually are quite a break from the laptop. They're therapeutic. They're actually something. And I've got three children in their late teens, early 20s, and we've all got the paintbrushes and we're all doing it together. It's really nice. And I think, I wonder, is cleaning? You're, I read your bio. You are cleaning queen, right? And, <laughs> and I want to know, is cleaning therapeutic? Oh, I think it is. I really <laughs> do. I think, and it also, you know, it makes you feel better. Once something is clean, then you feel calm. And you feel relaxed when the house is cluttered or, you know, things are in disarray or things don't look as well as they should. You feel calmer when things are clean and there's more turmoil when things are upset. So I think cleaning, baking bread, home improvement projects like you're suggesting and being home where you look around and you say, oh, my goodness, I'm wanting to do that. I'm wanting to do this. So um, so it is a good time. You know, we're busy at home still. I mean, I'm working from home all day long. I'm putting in a full day like I'm putting in at the office. You know, I can't wait to get outside and garden. It's been a cold, a cold, rainy spring here in New Jersey. So, but I'm watching the plants come up and I'm itching to get out. But yeah, that's my stress reliever, if you will. You know, cleaning was having a moment here in the early stages of, of our lockdown. You know, everybody was interviewing me, wanted to know how to kill germs and what should I use and where do I get wipes and all of the things that the information of the moment, the crisis of the moment was how to clean. I've been, I've been you know, super busy. I don't really feel like I've had a chance to take a break. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. You do need to go outside and get some air. You do need to walk away from it a little bit. I think that maybe in all of this, one of the benefits, if there is one that you can say, is that we'll, we'll try to get a little bit more balance, you know, in our lives and not be so, you know, so just intense on go, go, go and work, 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 I'm hoping. And whatever mm -hmm. format that is, whether it's baking bread or painting or gardening or cleaning, um, I think, you know, you, have, you find what it is that helps you kind of just manage your life a little bit better and, yep. and get a little more balance. I have to ask, is 39 years and six months a record at Good Housekeeping? Almost. It's almost a record. Um, actually, there are a few people that have been there longer than I have. I like to say that I came on a school trip and I never left. <laughs> <laughs> and you were in textiles before you joined there, right? Could you tell us a bit I more about, about that and how that's helped lead into your career with Good Housekeeping? Well, I, I was in textiles, so that's what I started with. After my degree, I worked, like you had said, with Montgomery Ward, and we were testing their clothing and fabric merchandise, home furnishings in the catalog and retail space. So that kind of got me my entree into the textiles lab at the Good Housekeeping Institute. Always knew about good housekeeping, and I always loved the opportunity to, like we said, take the scientific and make it simple. I always loved to write, so I always felt that that you know that was one of my strengths. So this was a way for me to not only 
evaluate the products and understand them from a technical perspective, which I enjoyed, but then take that and turn that around to our readers. So um, it gave me the best combination of both. So, so I had- went over to the textiles lab and um, did very much what we did at Montgomery Ward. We did in the textiles lab at Good Housekeeping, we evaluate garments for um, ease of cleaning, for shrinkage, for color fastness, for durability and performance, how strong they are, um, how well they hold up to washing, how water repellent or or absorbent they are, depending on what the fabric is. So that's what I did um, at in the textiles lab at Good Housekeeping. And then um, was starting to think about, you know, what my next move was gonna be. And um, my husband and I were just about ready to get married. And I said, well, you know what? Let me just put this off until after the wedding and then I'll look for something new. And um, an opportunity in our home appliances and cleaning products lab opened up mm-hmm. as associate director in that, in that lab. So I applied for it and got the position. And then, you know, obviously through as the years go by, I had opportunities for additional promotions and, and, and um, more position changes as that came out, came along. Um, and was able to actually take the the um, home care department, which didn't exist on its own, and develop it into a, into a separate category. So that's been a very good, you know, good and very rewarding challenge for me. So um, then as the years went by, I had more opportunities to do a lot of media and television work, which I really enjoyed. So there was always something, at, you know, every step of the way that kind of kept me interested and growing and um and developing and and then of course you know as technology changed and i mean we didn't even have computers when i started at good housekeeping so <laughs> we were working on typewriters you know and forget the internet i mean that we didn't even know what that was when in 1980 so you know that was a whole new thing when that came around <laughs> but um so there's always opportunities to learn and grow and you know as much as products have changed since 1980 and as much as products have improved and new products have come along Part of the DNA of good housekeeping is, you know, we're always going to be evaluating washing machines. The washing machines are better. They're not, you know, they're certainly not the same washing machines we had in 1980, but the basics of, you know, the home environment and home products and consumers and what they want from their appliances and their products, um, I think will always stay the same. So, you know, I've seen a lot of change. We're evaluating products we didn't, who, who even knew what a robot vac was in 1980? We didn't know what that was. <laughs> But you know, we're figuring out new ways to evaluate them and taking traditional test methods that we used and updating and revising them to reflect the new products that we're seeing. And of course, now there's the whole digital side. Somebody said to me once, do you remember when you just wrote for the magazine? I was like, yeah, that was all there was. It was just good <laughs> housekeeping print magazine. You know, now it's the digital and we're pumping out digital content faster than we can even keep up with it sometimes. Mm. So um, what, what the challenge has been is that the digital time frame mm-hmm. is not the same as the magazine time. So in the print world, you know, we would evaluate or reevaluate things every year and a half, two years, depending on how often new products came out. And, you know, our our evaluations are so in depth. I mean at Good Housekeeping we we don't just try something out and write about it. We evaluate it from a scientific perspective. Every product is evaluated the same way. So that takes time. Our challenge, and when you're doing 17 dishwashers or you know 20 washing machines, it takes a lot of time. So our challenge was to kind of pivot and see how we could take our scientific reviews and translate them to the digital space. Because that, you know, a year and a half or two years doesn't fly in the digital space. People want updated information a lot more frequently. So you know, it's got to be at least twice a year, and we have to find ways to do what we do with the credibility behind what we do 
but do it in a way that meets the needs of the digital team. So that's been, that's been, I think, one of the biggest challenges for us. And I'm happy to report that for the first time in the month of April, Good Housekeeping passed 60 million users on our wow. site. So we were very, very thrilled about that. And that's, that's the number one. Our president of our magazines division gave us a shout out in a, in a virtual meeting the other day because that's the number one for any of the Hearst properties. So Good Housekeeping is really we're really on fire when it comes to our digital performance, and we're, we're thrilled and very proud of that. It's an amazing achievement. Congratulations. Carolyn, I need to ask, you mentioned the Good Housekeeping Seal. How would you explain that to our listeners? What is the Good Housekeeping Seal, please? The Good Housekeeping Seal is a, um, it's a consumer warranty, and what most people don't realize is that it is a limited warranty. They see the Good Housekeeping Seal on a product, and it signals to them that the product's been tested, which it has. Um, and that it is a it is a good performing product that meets its claims, which it does, which is um, the primary goal of what the Good Housekeeping Institute does when we review our SEAL products. We evaluate them, make sure that we're satisfied with their performance, that they perform as claimed. Um, if a product makes a claim and it doesn't meet it, it's not something that would carry the Good Housekeeping SEAL. But what most people don't realize, even in the 39 plus years that I've been there, <laughs> and we shout it from the rooftops all the time, we, we talk about it on TV, we talk about it in the magazine, but it's an actual limited warranty. So if you have a product, if you buy a product that carries the Good Housekeeping seal, and that product is defective within two years of purchase, we Good Housekeeping give the consumer their money back. Oh, wow. So that comes from Good Housekeeping. Yeah. That's exactly what everybody says when they come. So, oh, that's wow. interesting. They didn't realize. So with that in mind, is it is it push or pull? Is it that the manufacturers of the products are sending their stuff to good housekeeping to be to receive the seal? Or are you calling the manufacturers to get their stuff to you to receive the seal? Or is it two-way traffic? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Um, you know, we have a, a sales team that goes out and meets with manufacturers and explains the good housekeeping seal program. It is a licensing program. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, but once they decide that, yes, this is something they'd like to participate in, then they are required to send us a sample of the product and su supply data to support any manufacturing claims that they're making. We do our product evaluations in the Institute. So we remove the stains and we evaluate the product, how easy it is to use and you know how well it cleans carpet, all of that. Uh, then once we decide that the product is acceptable, claim support is, is appropriate um, and that we can stand behind it with our money, which is actually what it is. Um, we approve the product for the Good Housekeeping seal. And, you know, one of the reasons I've, I think I've been there so long in Good Housekeeping is the fact that um, no outside organization stands behind the products that they certify like we do. And having spoken to woman on, from Pennsylvania, I think she wanted me to come over for lunch one day. She was so happy with the help I was able to give her because her dishwasher <laughs> wasn't working. She couldn't get any help from anybody else. We stepped in. We had service companies go out, which we, we pay for. Um, to assess the situation. Based on their recommendation, what she told us, we decided you know, her dishwasher was defective and we gave her her money back. And that comes from good housekeeping. We don't, um, we don't go back to the manufacturers, ask them to reimburse us at all. We are, um, that's totally from us. We keep them informed, certainly, of anything that's going on between good housekeeping and the consumer, but we don't require that they reimburse us at all for this. So that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize, and that's you know something really we can be proud of at Good Housekeeping. So um, one of the things, like I said, that, that I'm most proud of having been involved with. You should be proud of that. And I need to ask, yeah. so that's, you give people their money back if it's defective within two years. That doesn't only apply to people who've purchased an item through clicking through Good Housekeeping website? No, 
It's to no. anyone who buys anyone that knows. item anyhow. Right. However you buy it. If, it. if it's covered by the Good Housekeeping seal, if it has the seal on it, not every, not every uh, manufacturer chooses to put the actual seal on their product, um, although it is a great marketing tool mm. and it's you know, certainly something that we would encourage. But um, if the product is covered by our Good Housekeeping seal, whether the seal is on it or not, we will stand behind it for a period of two years. That's incredible. So it's a great consumer story. It really is. And with everybody viewing products out there, you know, we've got a lot of competition now. Back in 1980, it was us and Consumer Reports, and those were the only two product review organizations, you know. Now with the internet, um, there's so many people, so many organizations reviewing products, but nobody stands behind them like, like we do at Good Housekeeping. And I guess as well in the uh, modern era, you know, everyone's familiar with the term fake news and people do look at reviews, but knowing that it's good housekeeping shows that it's a trusted source and it's, it's not fake news. It's not bots bigging up a product which doesn't deserve the praise. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons, you know, we were able to hit 60 million for our um, our goals on the website in April is because of the, the trust. Good housekeeping has been around since 1885. So wow. it's been around a long time. The Good Housekeeping Seal was started in um, 1909, and the Institute was started in 1900. You know, it's, it's been a, a big part of, of American history and, uh, and the, the development of the consumer market, and I think something people, people have come to trust and still do, and still do. Oh, very much so. That's a fantastic service. Is the money back a global thing or, or just unique to the USA? It's not a global attribute to any of the seals in any of the other countries it's just restricted to our u.s our u.s good housekeeping when exactly is the 40th year then carolyn uh, it's going to be in november so i think it's seven months from now november november 17th i hit 40 so it's a milestone i guess it really is and if we're not in lockdown hopefully you can go out and have a really great celebration absolutely i hope we're not in lockdown by, by <laughs> i certainly before. hope not of course, Carolyn, another person that we've interviewed for the podcast is Ethan Bordeaux from the Well Building Institute based in New York, who's also been talking about New York during lockdown. And uh, he talks as well about how the, just like what you're doing, I suppose, with the Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval, and just like Quiet Mark is doing with the Quiet Mark Award, Well Building is a, cert- a certification that is passed on to buildings where they've been designed, or it can be an old building or a new building, but they they give a certif- certification to come to buildings who've designed and decorated their spaces in order to improve the wellness of the people working within them. So I should ask, what's Hearst Tower right. uh, like in terms of the building to work in? It's it's really amazing, um, and it might be something. I mean, that sounds really interesting. It might be something you know the property management in our our building might like to pursue. I was obviously starting in 1980. I was there before the Hearst Tower went up, and um, the building, the original building, was built by William Randolph Hearst in 1928. It was a U-shaped six-story building, Art Deco design, with a courtyard in the middle, and um, lovely building and good housekeeping. Well, was the only magazine of the Hearst properties in that building. It was built as a corporate headquarters, Mm -hmm. but keeping and just some of the top management were the only of the Hearst magazines or properties in that building. We're up in in the Columbus Circle um, space up on West 57th Street. So as the company grew um, and we started developing new magazines or purchased new magazines, we expanded into other areas around Columbus Circle, but none of, none of the other magazines ever went into the Hearst building. 
So um, I, rumor has it is that William Randolph Hearst wanted to put a tower on the building, but by the 1930s when the Depression happened, he decided not to go ahead with that. Oh. So fast forward to 2001, um, the company decides, you know, we have all of these uh, magazines and other buildings around Columbus Circle. Let's bring everybody in. Let's kind of revisit that whole idea of putting a tower on the building. Well, between 1928 and 2001, the building had become a National Historic Landmark. So when they went to meet with the city, the city wouldn't allow the tower to go up unless the facade of the building was kept. So that was the challenge. They were supposed to meet with the city actually September 12th, 2001, which was oh wow, the day after September 11th. Yeah. So that, that meeting didn't happen, but when it ultimately did, um, you know, and it was a time of great uncertainty as, as we are going through now, you know, the company didn't know, should we build a tower? Should we put everybody all in one building? Those were the kinds of questions they were, they were um, dealing with at the time, but they decided to go ahead. And like I said, the city would only approve it if they kept the facade of the building, which is what they did. So they hired Norman Foster mm-hmm. from Great Britain, and he designed our um, glass-faceted tower that sits on top of the original Art Deco facade of the building. The whole interior was was um, demolished. They kept the facade. I can actually see the window of my office from 1980. It's still there at the <laughs> base of the building. Nice to go down in the cafe and see where I used to sit. Now I'm in the same space, but 23 stories up. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but those of us that you know were there earlier were kind of a little uncertain as the tower was going up. It's such a beautiful building; we hated to see it kind of, you know, not be what it was. But sure, um, it was done under. You know, we we were the first New York City uh, new building to be Leeds. Gold certified by Leeds um, when we opened in 2006, so that was a you know that was a real milestone and a real achievement. But it was all done beautifully done, recycled steel. I mean, we have we capture rainwater on the roof and it gets brought down into the basement where it's filtered and processed and comes up into the lobby as a beautiful waterfall wow. that um, kind of flanks both sides of the escalator. And that and that water helps humidify the space too. So there's there's benefits to a lot of the a lot of the construction and the features of the building. Um, there's so many windows. There's so much natural light that many times they don't need to put the lights on in the cafe because it's so sunny and so bright. So we have things like you know the sensor faucets in the restrooms, and we have lights that go on and off in the conference rooms as people come and go. So all of that helped us earn Leeds certified gold when we opened. And then after five years being open, we qualified for a LEED certified platinum. So it really is, you know, um, it really is a very, very warm and very, you know, enjoyable place to be in terms of the environment and, um, you know, the opportunity to work in a, in a beautiful building. The views are spectacular. So even, you know, even walking by and seeing Central Park and the leaves turning, you know, in the, in the fall gives you a little chance to take a breath as you go by the, by the window. And, and so that all helps make it make it a very nice place to work. Carolyn, as, as presenter of the Quiet Mart podcast, you don't know how much of a gift you've just given me there. Without knowing it, you've provided a perfect link, not only to Ethan Bordeaux, who is going to be in this show, episode two of our podcast with you and talking about wellness, but you also talked about nature within your building <laughs> and the show, which is going to be episode three coming out soon, is with a biophilic designer called Oliver Heath. And he talks about what we can learn from nature, what nature teaches us about acoustics so i'd like to ask a little bit more did you say that rainwater is 
gathered and runs down channels down the sides of the escalator so that people hear the sounds of water. We have, um, as you come into the building, when you go in and the, there's a, a three-story escalator flanked on each side by a waterfall. Wow. It's called rainfall. And um, that comes from that's water that's captured and purified and, and comes back down. So as you come into the building um, and you see and hear that waterfall. And then the, um, I don't know if you remember this, but um, behind the waterfall going up, there's a huge wall that's covered in, um, it, it's called, oh, I forgot the name of the, the sculpture that that is, but um, it was done by a gentleman. Uh, it's supposed to be mud taken from the Hudson and the Thames River. Oh, wow. And he laid on his back. I remember doing, I remember him seeing him do this. He laid on his back on a scaffold and it's just his hands like mud on his hands going oh, like this amazing. all the way up. And because of the connection between New York and Norman Foster, it's this is a piece of art really is what it is on the wall that goes up um, into, I guess it goes to the, to the ceiling of the, of the cafe part. And it's, it's um, incredible. It's really pretty amazing. You know something? I mean, yeah. one of the things I've been hearing talking about acousticians on this show is that one of the things about great acoustics is you're not supposed to notice it, but you do, feel it and i would imagine in normal circumstances you know with new york and the yellow taxes and all the honking of horns you come from that exterior into a, a lobby where there's the sound of water and even if you're not you know after 39 years i imagine you take it for granted every day or or, or do you do you think it installs a sense of instant subconscious well-being the moment you hear that water coming off the, the honking cabs I do. I really do. It's kind of you're walking into a place that kind of sets the tone. It's a busy, you know, it's a busy place. It's the lobby. There's the cafe. There's a lot of busyness going on. But um, you should see the people that come in off the street. They can't obviously come up through the turnstiles, but they come in just to take pictures of it. And, you know, just passersby who stop in the lobby. And, and we give tours, actually. We give tours of the Good Housekeeping Institute. We give tours. Uh, we did anyway. I don't know how much more we're going to be able to do after after this lockdown. But we gave tours of the institute and um, public tours of mm. the space. Do you do tours around the? Do people have tours of the labs at all to to find out more about how your lab works? Well, we we did. We would have um, you know be, again before this work from home order. We were we offered um, tours the first Friday, the second Friday of every month. Oh. So we have cons consumers can sign up on our website, goodhousekeeping.com. Just look for the tours and they could sign up there if they were going to be in New York or visiting New York or lived in New York. So um, we have them at um, 10 and 11.30, the second Friday of every month. You're the person that does the yeah. tours. You're the Willy Wonka of the Chocolate Factory, are you? <laughs> we do. We, we, we take turns. So uh, <laughs> I think I gave them the last few months. So we, we, we rotate. But yeah, we do it. They come in the labs. They have a chance to to chat with these people who work there. They get a chance to see what we do. Uh, it's about an hour, hour and a half tour. And it's, you know, very interactive. So um, so people really enjoy it. I'm hoping we can go back to it once we're done, but we'll have to see what happens. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Karen, this is all great. I'm wondering, with your wisdom, if you're going to give us three top tips for a clean house right now, where would you start? Okay. Well, you know, we have to kind of pay attention to, to cleaning and disinfecting. So that's important. So, um, you know, wipe those faucet handles and appliance handles and light switches and your cell phone and your laptop and everything else, you know, make sure that those are clean. Those frequently touched items are the biggest areas where germs spread. So I would say pay attention to those. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, you know, everybody's home a lot more now. So 
things are getting dirtier a lot faster than they would if everybody was out at school and work. So things are getting used at home. So um, kind of do your cleaning a little bit more frequently. Rotate the towels out. Change, swap out those towels. Make sure you have clean towels and, and laundry keeps, you know, getting done, I would say. And then I think the best, the other, the other thing is just have a really good vacuum cleaner and use your vacuum cleaner to help you dust and get into nooks and crannies and you know quickly get through that i think a good and a quiet one even is even better yeah than yeah that. yeah absolutely <laughs> i'll put on um queens i want to break free during letdown i'll do the hoovering like freddie mercury but i don't think i'll wear the wig the mini skirt and the mustache okay. <laughs> but i want to break free is appropriate right now right <laughs> <laughs> carolyn it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you thank you uh, so much for taking the time thank you so much i really appreciate the opportunity take care now be well and you stay safe thank you bye-bye bye-bye i hope you've enjoyed the show up to this point we're now going to listen to a recording that I made back in February with Ethan Bordeaux immediately after the launch of Quiet Marks Acoustics Academy. Six weeks into lockdown, that feels like a long time ago. Ethan Bordeaux serves the Standard Development Team at the International Wellbuilding Institute, IWBI, as the sound concept lead. He earned a BSc in Acoustical Engineering and Music with a minor in Mathematics from the University of Hartford and Hart School of Music. Prior to joining IWBI, Ethan conducted research proving the significant difference in air and noise quality above and below the Highline Park in New York, and began a career acoustical consulting focusing on architectural and mechanical coordination, on-site verification and well certification, most notably in the design of Delos Living HQ at 860 Washington, which was awarded well and lead platinum. Since joining IWBI, Ethan has represented ANSI S12 in the development of ISO 22955, acoustical quality of open office spaces, and has provided insights in acoustics to the Institute of Noise Control Engineering, Acoustical Society of America, Delos Living, Well Living Lab, and Enterprise Green Communities. Recognizing that noise is a global public health concern, Ethan is determined to craft accessible pathways for projects seeking to achieve and benefit from high-performance acoustical design. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thanks, Simon. And thank you for traveling how many miles from New York? Because about three oh and a half thousand, isn't it? Count. <laughs> well, you've certainly traveled further than anyone else here today for the Acoustics Academy launch event, at which you were one of our wonderful speakers. Thank you for making that journey. Yeah, thank you for having me. Did you enjoy it? I did. I thought it was a rousing discussion, just a great collection of minds and expertise. Yeah, it was really exciting doing it. And uh, for the listeners who weren't able to attend the show, maybe explain a little bit more about who you are, what well is and what you do. Sure. Um, who I am is a person with a background in music performance and acoustical consulting. What do you play? I play, well, I studied euphonium, uh, classical euphonium, and uh, dabble quite a bit on guitar ever since I was 13 and synthesizer. So I make a, a number of assortment of noises and sounds. Wonderful. <laughs> so I have a background in acoustical consulting which in practicing with meeting various building code standards certification programs um, led to what eventually became this career in being the sound concept lead for the Inter International Well-Building Institute, which essentially 
involves working with experts in the field of acoustics to develop parameters that can be achievable by project teams focused on high-performing acoustics. High-performing acoustics? Yeah. What is that exactly? Well, hmm. it's a number of things, really. High-performing acoustics can be related to the way that perhaps you and I interact right now on this podcast and communicate with one another through this very setup. It can be the way that a student perceives a given lesson or core learning objectives during uh, a class time period and how the space influences the way that that student hears their professor or teacher. Uh, High performance can also be related to the way that you work in an open office environment, how you achieve productivity or maybe use that space as a social space. What exactly is well certification? So well certification, like other building certification schemes, is focused on a particular intent that can be achieved by design teams, architects, key stakeholders, with a focus on health and well-being in this instance. So well certification sets these various thresholds through a platform of building certification for occupants, building owners, and stakeholders to demonstrate that they achieve some degree of health and well-being in the built environment. Okay, so with well certification, is that something that people come to you after a build to receive and fine-tune a building that already exists, or do they get involved way earlier than that before the building's gone up and consult with you to make sure that they're preparing to build something that will ultimately receive well certification? The beauty of the certification itself is that it's designed for any and all projects to achieve it the various thresholds that we provide therein. So you could be a new construction. In the case of the project we mentioned at the top, 860 Washington, Dallas Living Headquarters, this was a new building in New York City that was able to look into achieving not only LEED and Well Platinum, but also Living Building Challenge, which is a very involved um, certification program where demonstration over a given period of time is uh, required. There is a performance element associated with that and Well certification as well. So. New construction, for instance, is something where you can consider well early on, um, but also we make sure that the standard itself can be applicable to existing spaces. So this very building, for instance, mm-hmm. could pursue well certification, um, but they would need to work with and assemble a design team that can can come up with what's needed to find ways to achieve the various criteria, given that this is an existing space with limitations on alterations or renovation. So it's a very interesting sounding certification. Tell me something, Ethan. With QuietMark, um, of course, let's take an example of, say, kettles. Not every kettle on the market would has the, has the QuietMark. In fact, we only award the QuietMark to the kettles which we test. We, t- we only give it to the, the quietest. So in respect, it's something they strive for. It's a nice to have, but it's not compulsory that all kettles must adhere to a certain decibel rating. Similarly, with your uh, well certification, it's not compulsory, but what, what's the benefit to a company that can say, we have well certification? What are they trying to say about themselves? Well, it's certainly a milestone for projects that take this process of certification from start to finish. And a lot of projects take advantage of the publicity that comes with that. So uh, for all well projects, there are minimum requirements for performance verification, for instance. You mentioned the testing of the kettles, that there's a certain threshold that these kettles have to perform at from a sound point of view, that these kettles can only be so loud. It's the same with well spaces in that when you performance verify a space, you're looking at key parameters for all well buildings, whether that's air quality, light quality, thermal comfort, 
water quality, and even acoustics. Acoustics being the most performance verified component of the whale building standard. So when a project achieves certification, there is a lot that has to happen beforehand. And that involves third-party assessment, which is something to really be proud of when a project reaches that finish line with certification. So while it's not compulsory, it's demonstrating leadership in the architectural community in a way that we're not necessarily seeing with other programs or platforms. So I suppose um, the Acoustics Academy platform, which QuietMart launched uh, today, is very useful for for, uh, people working with Well because essentially it provides uh, a directory of the best acoustic materials that you can use in building, whether it's walls, floors, ceilings, windows. And therefore, if you're asking companies to build acoustically sound spaces, they can look to this directory and find the manufacturers of the products which they can then put into their build. So you see yourself being able to use the Acoustics Academy like that. I think that it's definitely something that projects who may have difficulty wrapping their head around the sound concept of the well building standard, I think it's I think it's a great tool for, for project teams to understand the direct link between the products and various construction techniques they use to try to achieve certain acoustical outcomes. What the direct link between that and the human experiences. I think that what QuietMark offers uh, with with its own certification is a continuation upon the education of what's needed from an acoustic perspective, which for projects that don't have acoustical consultants is a really vital component to ensuring that occupant comfort is achieved. Now, because you've come all the way from New York, I had the pleasure uh, of having to receive you the day before the event. We immediately found uh, a bond in music and acoustics and playing instruments that we both share but you then produced a a website that was showing some speakers that you're tell tell us about these speakers that you're working with and working on sure so these are hand-built speakers uh by a company called oswald's mill audio uh located in pennsylvania they have a showroom in brooklyn give it the dot com what is it oswald's mill audio.com there you go (laughs) It's a buddy of mine, uh, Jonathan, who runs this company out of the showroom in Brooklyn and out of Pennsylvania. Um, and essentially what these are, wooden uh, or otherwise horn-loaded loudspeakers. And he develops everything. He develops the amplification, the turntables associated with them. He's really made quite a name for himself in the uh, critical listening and uh, in listening community. And so uh, it's a real treat to, to work with him on just various projects on the side listening rooms, studios, but also just experience the the pure energy and joy of music through his systems. It's there's something special about it where uh, there's there's little compromising the sound. You hear I was mentioning last night, like this the example being he showed me these unreleased Elvis recordings. And experiencing that in that space was was truly fantastic. There was something raw and uh, just incredible. And it just goes back to my just general love of music, the way that it's also subjective. But when you get it down to its natural form, it's something really to behold. And we're here and we're talking about architecture and acoustics and music. Somewhere that is uh, famed for its musical acoustics is, is Carnegie Hall, of course. And you're playing there soon, right? I have the great fortune to join the Brooklyn Wind Symphony, um, a group that I rehearse with quite often. At a concert at the beginning of June at this very Carnegie Hall. I bet you're psyched about that. I certainly am. (laughs) And what are you playing exactly? I play the euphonium. Right. So. For the 
What is the euphonium? Oh, gosh. I remember my music lessons and learning the woodwind branch and all of these instruments, but euphonium just escapes my it's memory. It's the one that is never put on those you know, handy-dandy charts. So um, what is it then? Well, I... Uh, people in the community will kill me for saying this. I mean, I call it the tiny tuba. It's 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 technically known as a tenor tuba. Okay. So it's smaller. Um, but with, with the sonic characteristics of somewhere between a French horn and a trombone, so... Euphonium itself also means beautiful sound. It's funny you mentioned French horn. On the way here in the car, I was with Poppy for our event today, and we were looking up great things in history uh, of February the 13th. And it turned out that in February the 13th, 1967, the double A-sided single by the Beatles was released with um, Strawberry Fields on one side. What was on the other side? Oh, Pop quiz. Do not put me on the spot. Penny Lane. Oh gosh. And yes. that's what's, you might know the instrument in there. That. It sounds like a sort of a trumpet with no keys that's used in a in a fox hunt or something like that. Normally. Right. What is what is that instrument? Well, it appears in history a number of times. You've, there's like the Roman tuba okay. is one iteration of it. But yeah, I mean it's it's a, a hunting horn or, okay. or something like that. Yeah. Can you play it? I'm sure I could. <laughs> well, if you're ever playing that at Carnegie Hall, I'd like a ticket. Will you invite me? Of course. Ethan, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. It's wonderful having you here. Hope to see you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Simon. My pleasure. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Thank you for listening to our New York in Lockdown special. I really enjoyed those conversations with Carolyn and Ethan. The wonders of modern technology, eh, where you can record a podcast during lockdown 3,500 miles apart from each other with them in New York and me in London. I'm really grateful to them both for giving up their time. So thank you very much, Carolyn and Ethan. Interestingly, Carolyn with the Good Housekeeping Seal and Ethan with the Well Building Institute certification kind of mirrors QuietMark's recent evolution with the launch of our Acoustics Academy being a new chapter in our story. Just as Carolyn's Good Housekeeping Seal, like the QuietMark, is awarded to high-performing household products and appliances, Ethan's Well Building Certification, like our new Acoustics Academy, recognises and awards the very buildings that we live and work in, which have been built, designed or renovated to improve the well-being of their inhabitants. So our new Acoustics Academy is the world's first online platform to help architects, acousticians and the building sector to find expertly verified leading acoustic solutions for every building type of building application area, whether that's doors, floors, walls, ceilings, vents, anything that could be used in the construction of a building to improve its acoustic qualities can be found in our Acoustics Academy. And just as Carolyn was saying, The Acoustics Academy also aims to make the science simple. In fact, when you go to AcousticsAcademy.com or the Building Sector Stroke Acoustics Academy section of the new QuietMark.com website, you'll find a document called Science Made Simple, in which we demystify the lexicon of language that explains acoustics and we break it down into simple-to-use phrases which are very helpful when it comes to trying to explain what you want a building to sound and feel like. Also, in addition to being a platform and an educational tool, our Acoustics Academy Well, it's just that. It's an academy. And when we did launch back in February, we had a lineup of expert acoustician speakers who shared presentations on their experience with sound and acoustics. And videos of those presentations, including Ethan's video, can be found on our YouTube channel, QuietMark TV. Which leads us nicely to explaining who our next guest is on the QuietMark podcast. 
Oliver Heath is a biophilic designer and he was one of the expert speakers at the Acoustics Academy launch event. And just like Ethan, I recorded Oliver soon after the Acoustics Academy launch, but then again quite recently during lockdown via video hangouts. As a follower of Oliver Heath Design on Instagram, I've been loving his recent posts and stories in which he's been providing useful tips on how biophilic design in our homes can help to create happier, healthier and more productive work from home environments during lockdown. So until then, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, we'd be so grateful if you can share it with your friends and please do join us again for the next one. I'm Simon Gosling and it's our pleasure here at Quiet Mark to share these conversations with you. Goodbye for now. <laughs>